Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog Comic books, comic time Writers and artists are on the line They make a splash as the comics read And take us on a trip behind the spread Watch out for comic book commentary Spinning or winning inside Fix how they got a hot idea Narrative, character, visual tricks And Uh-huh. It's comic book commentary all right. Hi, I'm Chelsea Kane. I am the creator of Man Eaters. And uh, this is Mirror Image, in which a image creator, such as myself, uh, is asked to sit down with somebody who is creative, but not in comics. And Image originally pitched uh, me doing this with Meryl Streep. And I said, no. I said, I'm just not into that. I really like I want somebody really special and interesting, somebody I can really talk to. And Meryl, she's kind of like she's got a reputation. She's really difficult. Um, so I asked uh, my friend Corin Tucker if she might come and sit with me in this small room. And she said, yes, it was very I, exciting. I will stand in for Meryl anytime. <laughs> Meryl's busy. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people don't know that, but yeah. you actually do a lot of the work that Meryl gets credit for. Am That's I right? right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mama Mia. That's yeah. actually no, Sophie's choice. You were so good in that. Thank you. <laughs> Dude, just, you're, you're, you're back walking away. It's just standing, but there's a lot of physical action there. A lot That's of right. yeah, yeah. emotion, gesture. Yeah. So we don't really know what we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm sure it'll be interesting. Um, I uh, did notice something about us. Um, we're both females. That's correct. Yes. And I noticed, uh, I write thrillers. And as a thriller writer, when I first started writing thrillers, I was told over and over again by people in publishing, um, that, uh, they were really excited about my books because I was a woman who could write like a man. Wow. I know. (laughs) I don't even really know what that means. Um, I have some theories though. Uh, and, you know, I just think it's interesting how, as you know, women who make stuff sometimes like become so much a part of our story, mm-hmm. like certainly with you, right? In your early career, like she's, she's a girl who can also <laughs> do punk rock. Like what? <laughs> like the, you know, those, those things become so wrapped up. Yeah. Um, and I wonder like how you feel about that. Is it, does it matter? Do you try to separate it? I mean, of course it matters. Mm. Unfortunately, like I think being um a creative person in an industry that's I mean music is still so has been so historically male dominated, you know. Mm-hmm. That's not true of comics at all. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um 
you know, it did. It, I think it did matter that we were, you know, an all female band and that we presented ourselves as really confident and, mm-hmm. you know, that we weren't going to take any crap from people. Mm-hmm. You know, of course it mattered. Um, it became super annoying at times to be like another question about being women in music. So like the question I just asked. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> well, but you know, I think I think it's tricky with any creative project how much of it how much do you let that do you let gender define it? Mm-hmm. And how much do you want to get free of gender by the work itself eventually? Right. You know what I mean? Like right. like I think that's that's something that we've been playing with for a long time. And I feel like now with the change that we've experienced in society that that people are really pushing the boundaries of gender, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that I think is really exciting. Yeah. No, I do, too. Um, but, you know, I still feel like I, I would love to just be a thriller writer. I would love to just be a right. comic book writer. And certainly it is also as a comic book writer. I'm always like in the context of being a female comic book writer. Right. Uh, and that's, it is also a way to kind of like tell a story, right? People want to, they want to have like a context, a narrative. Right. And it's something to talk about. And it's also something that is interesting because it is a point of view that is underrepresented. Uh, but it is, it would also just be great to like, I, I look forward to the, f- when we don't have to sort everybody first thing. Right. By that. Do you think, because I know that one thing we also have in common is that we are parents of young girls. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that generation is going to experience it differently than we did? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think they're going to... I'm going to answer the question slightly differently than what you ask, because I don't know if... I think they'll still experience... Like, patriarchy's pretty (laughs) entrenched. You know, that might take a couple generations. Yeah. Um, But... How their behavior and their kind of experience and uh, elasticity in terms of um, gender and, you know, everything, I think, is uh, remarkable. It's it's remarkable to me. Um, and it has forced me to get a lot more elastic in a way that I really love. Um, just, you know, having my daughter, you know, she has many friends who uh, are trans or who um, are just you know, middle school and the way that middle school kids, uh, at least in Southeast Portland, <laughs> experience um, the kind of like intense self-discovery period is to try out different stuff. And so like she has many friends who switch pronouns like week to week. Right. <laughs> and uh, or, you know, want to use a gender neutral pronoun. And so I've gotten or changed their names constantly. And at first that was really hard to like to like stay on top of because I really wanted to respect it. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, our brains like are really elastic and Mm -hmm. it got so much easier to just like one, it made me so aware of how, and I think of myself as, you know, like a pretty progressive person. Mm -hmm. It made me so aware of how I use pronouns, like in ways that are totally unimportant. Like how often when Eliza and her friends were upstairs and I needed them to come downstairs, I would yell, girls. Wow. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, like their girlness is nothing to do with the fact that I need them to come downstairs and put their dishes in the sink. You know, right. like that has nothing to do with it. Right. Uh, I just you know, I, like I have I have found this phase of her existence uh, like really illuminating. I'm really mm-hmm. grateful for it as a parent. That's awesome. Yeah. And do you feel like that? is part of the inspiration for man eaters. Yeah, I mean I feel like our kids are just so much more woke yeah, than it, for sure anybody and that uh there isn't maybe as much content that is as woke as they are. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to like many people think of man eaters uh, or at least try to position it as more of an adult comic. Mm-hmm. I really, I wrote this comic for 14 year olds. Yeah. And I think adults certainly can read it. Anybody can read it. But uh, to say it's not appropriate for 15 year olds or 14 year olds, I think really kind of uh, indulges in the point that I'm trying to subvert to begin with, which is that, you know, menstruation is somehow um, an adult topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, but mostly I wanted I wanted to write a comic for Eliza and um, her friends that explored um, some of the stuff that they were thinking about and also that recognized their rage. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, especially after the last election, like I just saw all of these kids um, who we're so kind of just kind of had whiplash from that. Like it really kind of like, you know, like really made them kind of rethink their place in the world. Yeah. Um, and I really, I wanted to give them this kind of like resistance story. Uh, and also I just get people used to talking about like periods, <laughs> which should not be a topic that uh, we have any trouble with at all. And yet so many guys still, they can't even imagine like buying right. tampons, you know, like right. it's this like really mortifying experience for them. Yeah. And so I think- lots of tampons, 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 tampons. Yeah. Or whatever you prefer to use. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think that I just love the way it gives embodiment to that whole experience of being othered mm-hmm. into, you know, this amazing panther creature. Like, how did you come up with that idea? Um, cat people. <laughs> yes. Okay. I was wondering about that. Yeah. The 1981 uh, yeah. remake. So yeah. I've seen the original as well, um, which is a fascinating it's movie. Great. Yeah. I love them both. Yeah. It, they really are great. And yeah, like that very much obviously is about like the, the, the panther transformation is about in, in cat people is about female sexuality. Right. But told from a very male point of view. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started thinking about that and the fact that we have like culturally this uh like long tradition of uh pop culture manifesting our cultural anxieties as monsters right we do that all the time in, mm-hmm. in movies and books and um whatever's freaking us out like we we come up with a monster to represent it whether you know it's vampires or zombies or you know aliens um and it helps us kind of work through mm-hmm. our some of our anxiety and i i started thinking like what is our cultural anxiety right now this particular moment in time like what is the thing that nobody really talks about, but that scares people. And I think it's women. (laughs) 
I do. I think we're the monster. Yeah. I think that the Me Too movement has created uh, this this kind of like free floating anxiety that um, that many men of, of certain generations feel like. Oh, somebody, a woman could show up at any time, right? With a story that could derail their career. Um, and I think that there's a free floating anxiety about, uh, women suddenly wanting more, mm-hmm. um, in a way that feels, uh, threatening. Yeah. Like th- threatening, um, and real. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, and I guess like thinking about that, like that, you know, women are the beast, uh, made me think like that would be really interesting to look at. Um, like there's so many layers of metaphor, obviously, and man eaters. Sometimes I lose track of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also, I think that transition between, uh, girlhood and, and teenhood, I think adolescence for girls, right, is, we're still culturally so uncomfortable with that Mm -hmm. because um, I I think we want to protect, you know, like I think there's this sense that our girls like actually do mutate into, uh, into women. And I think that men um, feel really uncomfortable with that because they're, they're shown all of these images that are meant to be really sexualized of young models, right? And, uh, told what is att- attractive culturally, right? And that happens to kind of fit a lot of like 13 year old girl bodies. Right. Um, and, you know, I think there's such anxiety there about like, how do we interact with these girls? And at the same time, we're also telling them that they're going to become monsters, that they're going to start bleeding from their vaginas. Like, right. and, uh, and if that's something that you shouldn't talk about in polite company, uh, yeah, I think there's just so much to explore there. Plus cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I love the way all of that plays out in the story. It's just, it's really visual in a way that I think, um, lends itself to like reimagining how, you know, how we, how we could interact, how we could treat that transformation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How is having a daughter, you know, or having a son, is there a difference? Like how has that affected your art in terms of, um, has it you know like oh yeah yeah deeply i think yeah because you don't have as much time for it <laughs> exactly because they're always bothering me no so you get angry and then you rage yeah. <laughs> um no i think that uh i think that you you bring a sense of vulnerability to your work that's really important as a parent because it's not just about you anymore. You're thinking about um, the next generation because they live with you, and mm-hmm. you're you watch the impact of the world through their eyes. You know, like like you said, you brought up the election. It's it's that was one of the worst things I've had to watch. Was I I watched that those that election night through the do- through my eight year old daughter's eyes. Mm-hmm. 
And that was so much worse, you know, than watching it through my eyes. It was like, oh, I'm so sorry mm-hmm. that, that you are going to have to hear all of this, you know, misogyny and racism and just everything that Trump brought into the White House. Right. It's you like, know? oh, adults are failing you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I am, like you said, I think our children are so much more woke than anyone else, you know, and that I br- they bring so much inspiration to me to try and do better and be more aware of my choices in the world, you know? So I think that um, as tough as it is to be a working parent, I do want to, you know, like go for it with my music to show my daughter. I mean, my son just turned 18. So I feel like, well, he's, he lived <laughs> he's it. Cooked. He's cooked. <laughs> my daughter's 11. And I think, you know, I want her to see, like, I'm going to like try as hard as I can to, to make the best music I can make and, and give it to the world and share that experience, you mm-hmm. know? So I think, um, it is, it's, it's, difficult to to parent and to be an artist you know it's a really it's not an easy thing to do because you miss all of that like internal time you know that you're supposed to be creating things in your brain you know yeah no like i think about that a lot actually um the sense that like you know when you have a kid as a parent and and maybe this is like, I'm not sure if this is even tr- true, but it feels true to me that maybe even mothers, particularly just because of a biology, um, like f- 15% of my brain is always on Eliza. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No matter where I am or where she is, 15% of it is always like, even not actively, but it's always like thinking about her. Like, mm-hmm. is, is she okay? Does she need anything? Did, you know, did I turn in that elective, you know, like choice mm-hmm. to school? <laughs> like right. all that stuff. Right. Right. Is she signed up for soccer? Um, and that's, that's a huge percentage. And if we're in the same house, um, and I work at home, uh, even if she's like on a whole different floor, like that, that number goes up right now. Mm-hmm. It's like a 22%. Mm-hmm. And that really starts to carve away at the, um, like for me as a writer, there's so much just like much of my work is what other people might call daydreaming or spacing out. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that's, uh, that's building a world. And like it yeah. takes a whole lot to, uh, hold a world in my head. Yeah. It'll take hours just to kind of like get the world set and get my place in it and then get like start to work. And then any interruption mm-hmm. um, sets me back. Like, yeah, it costs me mm-hmm. an hour. Right? right. In a way that um, I think my family still does not quite understand. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, right. <laughs> it just looks like mom is screwing around on her computer right. again, you know? Right. And then I feel selfish. Yes. Right. Yeah. Or I feel selfish because like. Eliza wants to watch Winona Earp, and I love Winona Earp, and I would like nothing more than to go sit on the sectional and watch Winona Earp with her. Right. And then so, like, I do, and then I feel like a good mom and a good Earper, <laughs> and yet a bad writer. Right. Or I stay, and I feel like a good writer, except that I'm not productive, because now I'm feeling like a bad mother, so I can't write. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a total catch-22, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, I think part of it is, you know, 
giving yourself permission to sometimes be selfish and be like, do not open that door. Right. I, this song has to be finished today or whatever it is, you know, like. I say that all the time. This song has to be finished today. I'm going to start. I'm going to start saying that. This song has to be done today. Yeah. <laughs> They'll finally take me seriously as an artist. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then I sometimes feel like I have days where I can just catch up. Mm-hmm. Where I can just be like, let's go out in the backyard and play with the dog and garden and, mm-hmm. you know, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have like a catch up day where you're just mom, you know? Do your kids listen to your music or is it too weird for them? It's too weird. Yeah. Um, My son has told me like, oh, I know it's good, but it's, I just, I can't deal with yeah. it. You know, yeah. he doesn't like seeing me. In those, all those roles and those characters. He mm-hmm. wants to see me as mom. Mm-hmm. Because that's what he needs from me. Mm-hmm. And that totally makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. But um, sometimes I have to admit it's easier if they're not there at a show. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Because, because you're conscious of them and how they're, like, seeing you? Yeah. Especially my son. Like, he doesn't want to see all this weird... <laughs> You know, because our show, it has, it does touch on women's sexuality, Mm -hmm. you know, and there is some like weird rolling around that sometimes happens that he's just like, right, literally turns his his back, you know. Um, So I think, yeah, it's a, it can be a little complicated that, um, you know, women are supposed to have all these different roles in life. And sometimes, people don't want to see that other role that you have, mm-hmm. you know, um, but they're really important. You have to fight for all of them. I think I, th- you know, I think a lot about, um, point of view, uh, just in, in general, I probably think too much about point of view, uh, but especially I think that the fact that you know, most industries are male dominated, at least historically. Uh, and like these, these, these industries that put out pop culture, um, that, you know, reflect and instruct who we are back at us. Mm-hmm. Um, having like, it's shocking to me how few female voices there are, like how few female directors there are. Like, mm-hmm. you know how that's a story, right? If you get like one female director or one woman writing comics or like, you know, one woman who's like shredding guitar, like that becomes, um, uh, you know, but it's still then all these layers of producers above that, right? right. Um, and that really affects the voice and how that voice is presented. And I, I I love that that is starting to crack a bit, mm-hmm. um, but it's still shocking to me uh, how far we have to go. And I don't know how um, we how we can kind of like create a world that brings kids up in true gender equity mm-hmm. until uh, until we have. Like lots, lots of voices, like lots of, you know, that's what representation is all about. Right. Um, just having people like the people in the world tell the stories. Right. It's incredibly powerful. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, 
That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. And like I grew up like, you know, like I grew up playing Princess Leia, right? Like, because mm-hmm. she was the girl. Right. And I loved Star Wars and... uh and it was great because, like, all the boys, they always needed a Princess Leia. <laughs> exactly. But it never occurred to me to, like, play Han Solo. Right. Yeah. Like, I uh, dressed up as Han Solo for Halloween this past year. And it was, like, oh, it was, like, a revelation. Like, I looked so good. <laughs> I looked so good. And I felt so powerful. Um, and I learned that because uh, a kid at Eliza's in elementary school, um, Nina, dressed up as Han Solo. Like, it didn't even occur to her that she couldn't be Han Solo. Right. Right. It didn't occur yeah. to her that like, you know, like going drag for Halloween, would it, would it all be like, she didn't bump at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, which is a huge generational shift. Cause like it, it's not like as a kid, I would have, um, it just didn't even occur to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, me neither. I would never have thought like, oh, I'll just be, you know. Right. I'll be Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker. No yeah. way. You got to, I mean, the time you spend thinking about those buns uh-huh. and how am I going to my hair like that? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's so ridiculous. And yeah, I think the more that we can, you know, all of the, the, the push to get women in, you know, film industry, music industry, all of that. I think it's super important comic book industry. Yeah. It really pays off. Yeah. Like it really affects story yeah. in a way that to me, like really reinforces the importance of yeah. diverse voices. Yeah. So we were talking about comic books a little bit and you said that you've always been into comic books. Is that something that yeah. you grew up? Like, you know, I say that compared to like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and I know your yeah. husband. That's why I'm laughing yeah. like who, lovingly. Right. Who <laughs> obsessively collected like yeah. yeah, Marvel comics for like, yeah, you know, yeah, like, that that is different. Like right. he is he is a collector. Right. Um, I am a comic enthusiast. Right. So he begs and boards his comics and I pile mine up on the bedside table. Right. Um. But I, you know, as a kid, I read, like, as a little kid, like, you know, like, Richie Rich. <laughs> I loved Richie yeah. Rich. What a great fantasy. I was like, uh-huh. he doesn't have any problems with okay, money. No. <laughs> <laughs> what He's got these friends. Like? Yeah. The helicopter. Jet. Yeah. Like, oh. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and then I got into, like, ElfQuest. And uh, I, I had a cousin, Jason. Um, uh who um, we had a family reunion and he brought all of these uh, X-Men and Alpha Flight and uh, I started reading them. I, we got in a big fight because I dog ear. Oh, no. <laughs> One of them. It was epic. Like everybody at the re- reunion still talks about it. But then he respected the fact that I loved these comics so much. So he started sending me comics because I, as a like a you know 12-year-old girl, 
I, I, there must have been a comic book store in in my town, right? But I sure as hell didn't know where I was, yeah, like, it, or how to get there, or you know, like, no, nothing. So the comics I had before that, like all the Richie Rich and that kind of stuff, th- that was you could get on the you know like newsstand, right? I didn't have to go to a comic book store. But so Jason became my like you know, my dealer. And he would he would just send me when he was done with comics. Um all you know, like all of these kind of like epic, you know, great, like you know, Teen Titans. I got really into uh like X-Men definitely, like the Dark oh, yeah. Phoenix saga, that whole thing. Right. Um and and then, you know, like I went to high school and like again, I still didn't really know where to get comics. Mm-hmm. And I would sort of, I would read the ones Jason sent, but they kind of were fewer and far between. And there was just kind of no culture of that around right. me. Right. Um, and then I went to college and I would read the comics that, you know, all the big, you know, Watchmen and Sandman and like the comics that kind of like permeated past, mm-hmm. you know, outside of the comic book store. Um, and then in the early 90s, I got really into Fantagraphics and all the kind of like alt comics mm-hmm. and read a bunch of those. Uh, and then, um, and then I met Mark (laughs) (laughs) and now like, yeah, I went into Excalibur, um, our local. Yeah. And I was in my twenties and, uh, went in there with Mark and, uh, I got, uh, the first issue of Alias, um, by Brian Michael Bendis, uh, which right has nothing to do with the T. The TV show, but it's Jessica Jones. Um, and I, you know, I just found it on the shelf. It had just come out and I read it and was like, oh my God, like I, I had no idea, right? Mm-hmm. That, that it could do that. And one of the things I loved about that, that comic is that it is, um, drawn like, like people are mm-hmm. like, it really like, Speaking of like representation and like point of view, the way that comics are drawn, like superhero comics, it's often so like women don't stand like that. They don't <laughs> on their tippy no toes. No one stands like that. <laughs> yeah. Like what references are you using? Yeah. Like because that's not. It's so and you know like uh, it makes me crazy. Um, and I loved like opening up Alias and seeing like. Jessica Jones just like standing like a person because um it was all used you know like these like photo references um mm-hmm. of like a, of an actual person to draw that comic and it was so like empowering and thrilling in this kind of like visceral sense for me mm-hmm. like oh what you can do this and she was funny and flawed um and also like you know the smartest one in the room and relentless and I I loved it. So I I started buying those um and then uh all of the kind of like ultimate stuff that Bendis was doing at that time and and then kind of widened from there. Um but I t- I tend to like go on binges where like anything in my life like if I like it I want all of it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will not be stopped yes. until I consume all of it. Right. Uh so I like I fall in love with a particular series mm-hmm. and and just you know, like ignore everything else and read that as opposed to like Mark, who is much more, um, has much more of a collector's mentality where he wants to have like a completist mm-hmm. kind of, right. Yeah. Like every title within, you know, like a certain universe or whatever. 
So when did you get the idea of like, hmm, I think I'm going to write one of those comic books? Um, it was, you know, maybe three or four years ago. And I, um, Mark and I were, uh, like we are are close friends with Kelly Sue DeConnick and Matt Fraction, who are both comic book writers and like extraordinary ones. And through them, we kind of fell in with this whole kind of group of comic book people in Portland. And I loved talking to them about comics, which was good because comic book people, it's all they talk about. (laughs) (laughs) It's all they talk about. And I was particularly interested in Matt's uh, run on Hawkeye because um, I found it, you know, as a storyteller, I really wanted to like puzzle it out. I wanted to reverse engineer it. I wanted to figure out why it was so good like what he was doing there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we started talking, like just having these like narrative discussions about um, the the kind of architecture uh, that he was employing. And, and I I sat down with one issue. I remember that I I, like, I I finished it and was like, like, that is so good. Like, why is that so good? It's like 20 pages. (laughs) Like, how did he do that? (laughs) Why am I feeling these things? Mm -hmm. Why have I not ever felt this before? Like, I've read lots of comics. What is he doing? Mm-hmm. So I spent an hour, like, really studying it. Um, just trying to, just the way that, like, I I have lots of friends who make different kinds of art. And I love just that discussion of, like, mm-hmm. how do you make your thing, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that will help me make my thing better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, so, like, I, I'd been thinking a lot about it. And then people kept asking me. Because I was always hanging out with these comic book people, like, when am I going to write a comic? And I go to cons, like, as a civilian, you know, like, I just like this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, as a civilian. And uh, so they started asking. So I've got Bendis's um, How to Write a Comic book. That's not the actual name, but that's the (laughs) subtext. I think it's called um, Books and Pictures, something like that. And I I got it and like took it up to my office and secretly started to like attempt uh-huh. to write a comic okay. to see if I could do it mm-hmm. to kind of like break it. Right. right? And I couldn't. <laughs> it turned out <laughs> it was really hard uh-huh. and I didn't understand. Um, but I also kind of like, I think just kind of started to feel a little self-competitive. Like I thought like, oh, like I can't do it. So I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh and I started thinking about, like, what kind of character would I want to write? And being steeped in the Marvel universe, I thought it would be really interesting to um, write a female Marvel character uh, and actually, like, again, point of view, get inside her head. Because, like, traditionally, all of the female characters in Marvel are told to serve other people's stories, mm-hmm. right? Um which means that like just that shit crazy stuff happens to them for no reason at all, <laughs> yeah. except to make some guy feel bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he can learn something about his wings or whatever. So <laughs> I thought like, wouldn't it be great to like know what the, what the real story was, what right. they were really thinking. And I also find as long as I'm on a rant, I find the notion of canon. <laughs> I don't, I think it's really sexist. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that like we that, that things that happen in the Marvel universe, and I'm just using that as an example, um, the fact that 
like what we see happening is considered what happened. And all of the stories being told are told by men. Right. Is really, it's problematic. It's problematic. And, I, and I wanted to kind of chip away at that, like mm-hmm. where you have a female character who's like, no, actually, that's not what happened at all. Right. In, you know, 1982 and that like arc that you read, because right. nobody would do that. Right. Like, uh, so, um, Mark actually was the one who suggested Mockingbird as being kind of a perfect female character because she was somebody who, um, had never really had her own, her own title. She was known, if she's known at all, um, as Hawkeye's ex-wife. Um, but she'd had interesting things happen to her and in the hands of good writers, you could see like she was interesting and she was smart. Um, but she'd never told a story, you know, that was at all kind of like her story. And uh, so I um, was like, okay, I'm going to write Mockingbird for Marvel. Like that settled. I should I should let them know. <laughs> and so I emailed Bendis with my good news because <laughs> I thought he could pass it pass it along. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he wrote back and he said he said I'm going to come to your house and talk to you. <laughs> And he did like within a couple hours. He was on my couch. He was like, he's like, mm, like I, mm, like I think maybe you don't understand <laughs> how this works. <laughs> like you don't just call up Marvel and say like, yeah, like yeah, this is the character I choose. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. And that you know maybe I should do like a creator owned comic first or like and did I even really want to do this? He was very confused. Um. But I was like, I was like, I listened to all of his concerns. And then I was like, well, thanks for coming over. Like, let me know when you've talked to Marvel <laughs> about this exciting project. Uh, and then after like a couple of days, I emailed him and, and said, like, have you heard back from Marvel? And he like, I wore him down. Like after a few more days, he was like, well, I got in touch with Marvel and, you know, like, and they, they happened to have um, CB actually, who's now their editor, was in town or coming to town. And he had dinner with Brian and uh, I was invited along and we talked a little bit about Mockingbird. And then like two days later, I got an email from Axel, who's the editor at the time of Marvel. And like, it was like literally like uh, an editor from him or an, an email from him saying like, we've got a great idea. <laughs> you, should, you should write Mockingbird. Wow. <laughs> so, like that is a fine idea, sir. <laughs> But I knew nothing. Wow. I knew nothing. Like I, for one, that what they wanted was a one shot. They kept saying that word. We wanted, we want you to do a one shot for this anniversary. And I was like, so how many issues is that? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, it's one. It's right there in the name, one shot. It's <laughs> like, all right, okay. Uh, but I had to learn because then I had that script to do, uh, and I spent an inordinate amount of time on it. Uh, uh, you know, but like. It was it was super fun and um it was this kind of like random single issue and it did well. Um people liked it and they had not expected that. Hmm. Um because nobody like you know, it's a mockingbird. <laughs> 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 they were really surprised, I think. And uh also like I'm a novelist and novelists traditionally are really, really bad at writing comics. Like I think twice before I buy comics <laughs> written by novelists. Right. So I think that they, I think it was better than they thought it was going to be. And then they asked me if I wanted to write an ongoing Mockingbird series, uh, which seemed, you know, like it could be really fun and was fun for a while and then wasn't. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in many ways, like Man Eaters, which is the same creative team, by the way, as Mockingbird, mm-hmm. uh, is my kind of, you know, response to that whole experience. Mm-hmm. Right. That's cool. And cats. And cats. <laughs> <laughs> and corgis. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My daughter was mm-hmm. really into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, I love that story. You're like, so I'll be writing the Mockingbird story. Right, right. You yeah. guys are going to love this. Yeah. Sit down because <laughs> you might faint dead away. Yeah. <laughs> Super neat. Good news. <laughs> I, yeah, Marvel. I would still like, one of the things that was so fun about writing Mockingbird is that like it comes with this full universe, right? Like there's not only no world building, um, but there's this wonderful shorthand where um, like there's so many jokes because people who read it, you know, you can ex- you can expect that they have some knowledge of the universe. Mm-hmm. So like having, you know, seeing Tony Stark sitting in a in a waiting room reading a brochure on gonorrhea, like it's funny, like people like that's all right. you have to do. Right. Right. You just go right to the punchline. Right. And I really liked that Mm -hmm. uh, because it was a different way of play Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. It's fun to make stuff. Yeah. It's fun to make stuff with with friends. Yeah. Because most of the stuff you get to do that. Like I mostly just sit in a room for Mm -hmm. a year. Yeah. (laughs) And then and then, yeah, like tour with a book. And one of the cool things about um, comics is that, you know, everybody is contributing and like you know, I think being in a band, there's that sense of like you're elevating one another and mm-hmm. feeling like you're making something together that you can't make alone or that right. is different. Right. Do you how do you do feedback between the the writing and the illustration? Um, we you know, it's a weird comic because we do a lot of different kinds of art. Um, so we have like the, the main interior artist, um, like I give her a script, a comic book script and the script. And I think a lot of people who don't look at comic book scripts don't know this, but because I certainly didn't when I agreed to start writing them. Most of the script is actually art direction. So the actual like dialogue, the words that you see on a page in a comic book, like that's a tiny percentage wow. of what's written. So um, I go through every like panel, like page one, panel one, this is what we're seeing, right? And then, uh, and then this is, you know, the, the, these are the words on the page. These are the sound effects, all of that. And then Kate takes it and then she does um, sketches that are kind of really loose, mm-hmm. but mostly to kind of get a sense of where things are going to be on the page, where people are going to be in frames. Um, and then uh, I give feedback along with Leah Mitternick, who's my co-creator and kind of like art director. Um, we give feedback on that. And then she does um, pencils, which are much more refined. And then uh, we give feedback on those. And then she does inks. And at that point, you know, it's pretty solid. Like at that point, you don't, you don't want to be catching errors, although mm-hmm. sometimes they slip through, in which case they're patched. But then it goes to the colorist. And then the colorist does the colors, which is, a, to me, always one of the funnest parts <laughs> because it really, um, it just comes to life so much. Mm-hmm. Like so much can be done with color. And we have such a great colorist, Rochelle Rosenberg. So then that comes and, sh- and I will send her coloring notes before we even get started. I'll send her a script that like a colorist script wow. where I can call out if there's any kind of color stuff 
um, that I need to happen. Um, uh, and then, um, and then the letterer and the letterer, like, I, I used to think that the letterer just like wrote letters. <laughs> Not, not like, not like, dear Corin, right? You look great. Not right. those kind of letters, but like, would just like literally letter it. But most, the most important thing the letterer does is actually like place the balloons mm-hmm. on the page, mm-hmm. um, which can make or break like the pace of the story in a huge way. And uh, I always find that really interesting to kind of see. Um, the choices that he makes, which, you know, like are so good. And so he gets then a lettering script again, which is a script, but calling out like any kind of uh, environmental text, like if there's like, if I want to sign on a door, that kind of thing. Um, or if I have any uh, ideas about wanting um, something particularly shouty or, um, you know, like colored, a colored box. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also at the same time, I'm working with Leah on all the kind of like extra art. So we, we have, um, I, I wanted to have like an element of like realism, um, to, to kind of like remind us that even though this is this kind of like alternative world and clearly drawn, <laughs> it's relating to the actual world that we live in. Right. So we try to use like stock art, um, to, to reinforce that mm-hmm. or like the, I love the, the way that that works thank in that you. Yeah. yeah um the puberty observation form like mm-hmm. scantron sheet like a lot of extra bits like that and sometimes um they're actually like in 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 on a page that Kate has done well it'll be like a panel which is usually an aside like a a cutaway joke to something inside Maud's head um and you know that might be like you know a map or um like a, a picture of uh, Time magazine with a you know the uh, with a girl turning into a cat on it, um, and then we do all of these ads uh, for various like Estro products. <laughs> <laughs> so in Man Eaters, uh, the, the government has put um, all of these uh, hormone ad- like hormones in the public water to to shut down girls' periods so they don't turn into panthers. Um, and because of that, they don't certainly want the boys drinking that water. And so there's a lot of like estro uh, added or estro free products. And um, and those are really fun to like because it's 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 endless to yeah. think about um, just the satire of, uh, uh, you know, like not only advertising, but um, the kind of like weird like sexist like mm-hmm. underpinnings of, of so much advertising right. i love how you do that because there is so much positivity given towards boys who mm-hmm. are entering puberty like you're going to be stronger you're going to be bigger mm-hmm. and they literally could just puff up you know and that is everyone's just like great you know yeah. And with girls, it's like there's so many more like flashing warning signs when that starts to happen. Right. You know. Right. And and not only about like feeling like their bodies, but about like you got to pre- be prepared as a girl for like people are going to start to treat you differently. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like Eliza's, you know, gets catcalled walking yeah. up Hawthorne. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. Yeah. And Eliza goes to, a, you know, like a really good progressive school and and they were doing like their unit on puberty. And, uh, and they showed these slides about like what, you know, like what boys can expect in puberty and what girls can expect and side by side. And, um, and Eliza said, like, one of the things for boys was, um, uh, muscles, you'll grow muscles. 
And Eliza raised her hand and was like, so like girls can grow muscles too. <laughs> like, why is that only on the boys' side? That's ridiculous. Yeah. And the teacher hadn't even really thought about it. It was like, right. oh, you're right. Like, let's all talk about that. Yeah. But it's that kind of stuff that is so sort of internalized that we don't call out. But, you know, yeah. a- anybody can like yeah. make muscles, you yes. know, like we, yeah, anybody can get stronger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I worry about the messaging of like vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That, um, yeah, that boys, you'll get stronger and girls, you're going to be more vulnerable and you're going to have to keep an eye out and like mm-hmm. boys might want to take advantage of you. And now suddenly you're going to be careful because sometimes grown men are going to holler at you from cars and, yeah. you know, you need to start being safe. It's much more on them. Right. Yeah. Um, then it is like, they don't say to the boys, like, don't yell at girls from cars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think as parents, we do need to say that. And yeah, I yeah. I mean, fortunately, my son has never done that. But mm-hmm. but I think there is a lot of like, I think what's really beneficial about the Me Too movement and all that it's coming out is that young men are seeing there are actual consequences Yeah, for, you know, for sexually assaulting someone all, to harassment, to the whole rainbow Mm -hmm. of things it's like oh that guy lost his job Mm -hmm. he got fired Mm -hmm. and for a young man to see that it's like i think that's it's monumental you know to understand like there are you know consequences yeah and that it's crossing the line it won't be tolerated like no yeah we're done tolerating it yeah yeah and yeah I, i like i I think one of the things that attracted me to the story of Maneaters was to the idea of uh, tr- transforming into predators instead of prey. Yes. <laughs> and thinking about like, you know, maybe periods like aren't a curse, right? right. Maybe they're a superpower. Like it's a whole different it, way of thinking about girlhood. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that whole idea is, you know... It is a superpower. It's crazy. We get to like, we can grow people in our bodies. (laughs) What? (laughs) Anyway, I I think, I think we're done. (laughs) I think, I think that was great, right? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Corin. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Bye. Good luck in your next movie. Thank you. I know you're going to get another Oscar. (laughs) Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarchet. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.